Well, I've got a bit of a confession to make. I'm a huge fan of Downton Abbey. Hands up who join me in this. Oh, excellent, excellent. I've got some friends out there. My loyalty, I have to say, though, was severely tested by the Christmas special a couple of Christmases ago. You remember it? The one where Matthew Crawley was killed in a road accident coming home to celebrate the birth of his first child. I mean, how could ITV possibly do that on Christmas Day? Dreadful. Absolutely dreadful. But nevertheless, my loyalty has remained, and I'm definitely looking forward to Series 5 when it comes onto our screens in the autumn. But following the death of Matthew, it was such an unexpected twist in the storyline, it was such a bombshell to everyone, that a number of spoiler websites sprung up. They were giving people sneak previews of the events of the fourth series and how things ended, so that people need not be taken by surprise again. And these websites were really popular. I guess they appeal to the same kind of instinct that makes people scan the last pages of a novel to find out how the plot ends before they actually read the book. You know the sort of thing? I I never do that with books, but I do admit having a little look at the spoiler websites for Series 4 of Downton. But on a more serious note, unless we know how a film or a novel ends... It's difficult to fully understand it, to understand what the author was really trying to get at. And in a much bigger sense, it's the same with our understanding of the world. Unless we have some conception of where we're headed, then we have little idea of what life is for. Well, we come this morning to that part of the Apostles' Creed, Jesus' resurrection and ascension which are right at the heart of our Christian faith. In God's big story, as revealed in Scripture, Jesus' resurrection is the beginning of the end. The resurrection gives us a glimpse of our destiny as human beings. It shows us that God is at work in our world and that he is committed to bringing his creation safely home into the harbour of his final purposes for it. And in the resurrection, God invites us to look and see, and a sort of sneak preview, if you like, as to what is going to happen at the end, so that we can make sense of the present and know how to live in it. Jesus' resurrection and ascension put a new perspective on the suffering that we've been thinking about last week. Both Jesus' suffering and our own. They show us that God will ultimately triumph. And so they're the ultimate in good news. Now we're considering two vast topics today in the resurrection and ascension of Jesus. They're pivotal events in God's big story, and without them, many of the subsequent biblical events that we almost take for granted, like the coming of the Holy Spirit, for example, couldn't have happened. Some of those will actually be covered in our later parts of this sermon series, and we're not going to be able to cover everything today. But what I want us to do today, I want to take you on a journey 
one that the first disciples and the early church took to the belief that Jesus' resurrection and ascension were events that really happened in history. And then I'd like us to consider just a few of the reasons why belief in Jesus' resurrection and ascension are vital for informing the way that we live out our lives today. I'm going to start with our second reading today, the passage from Corinthians. It's on page 1155, if you want to follow it. Paul reminded his readers of the heart of his gospel, and he exhorted them to stand firm to them. Now, what were those essentials, the essentials of the gospel for Paul? Well, actually, they were surprisingly few, and they were all about Jesus. If you look in verses 3 to 4, briefly they, and it is very briefly, firstly, that Christ died for our sins. Secondly, that he really died in a literal sense. His lifeless body was buried. And thirdly, he was raised up on the third day as the Old Testament scripture had predicted. Now, Paul's readers would have been no strangers to death. It would have been the belief that Jesus had been raised to life again that would have been difficult for them to have had confidence in. Because that was way beyond the limits of human experience. And so Paul goes on to be at pains to list the witnesses who had encountered the living Jesus after his crucifixion in order to place Jesus' resurrection into a real context. So if we look at verses 5 to 7, there's a whole list of people and situations. Now, most of those people were still living at the time at which Paul wrote that letter. The implication being that his readers could go and interrogate the witnesses for themselves. And lastly, in verse 8, Paul gives his own personal testimony of having met with the risen Lord. He wanted to make really sure that the early church had confidence in the reality of Christ's resurrection. Now, if you dig deeper into scripture accounts, you'll find plenty of other consistent evidence that makes the resurrection of Jesus a credible reality. We haven't got time today to go into the detail of that, but... As a scientist, I'm used to evidence-based thinking. I'm personally convinced by that. Now, if you want to know more, if you want to know some of the sources that you can go and dig around to um, just get that head knowledge that Jesus' resurrection really was an event rooted in space and time, as it were, do come and talk to me afterwards and I can point you in the right direction. But I want to put the resurrection into another context as well today. And that's the context of the cross. I'd like to take you through that journey of faith that the first disciples took, that journey between Jesus' death and his ascension. Because I think it can help with our own faith journeys. It starts at the beginning of Luke 24, And it ends with the reading that we've had today. 
And if you'd like to follow the broad picture, it's page 1062. And the disciples' journey starts at the end of Luke 23 with the suffering and the despair of the cross. All their hopes of a bright future with Jesus have been smashed. Jesus was dead. They were stricken with grief for him. They had lost a friend, a companion, a leader. But that grief was made even sharper by guilt. Guilt that they'd abandoned him when he needed them most. And so when Luke 24 opens, when the women come running back from the tomb on that first Easter morning with stories of angels and an empty tomb, the disciples dismissed their accounts with unbelief. Yet they were still loyal to Jesus' memory. I'm sure they would have loved to have believed that Jesus was alive. But it just stretched their credulity too far. But as Luke very carefully unfolds that resurrection story, the next scene is two of the disciples walking from Jerusalem to Emmaus and they became convinced that they had actually met with Jesus. But in a mysterious way, physically, he wasn't instantly identifiable as Jesus. But I think key to this episode was that God opened those disciples' eyes and they recognized Jesus. They recognized him in his teaching and in the way that he shared bread and wine with them, how their hearts burned within them as he unfolded the scriptures. And so we come to our reading today. Jesus appears to his disciples through a locked door. That's not in the Luke passage, but we read in John, in the parallel passage, that the disciples were together in a locked room for fear of the Jewish authorities. Jesus had a real physical body, one that bore the marks of the crucifixion on his hands and his feet. He ate with them. He was no ghost as the disciples first thought, understandably, perhaps, in view of his sudden appearance. On the contrary, it's almost as though Jesus was more real than the solid walls and doors of the room that the disciples were in, and so those walls and doors presented no physical barrier to him. And I think it must have been at this point that the disciples really believed that Jesus was alive because collectively they had seen him with their own eyes. They were eyewitnesses. Now, there are a few previous accounts in the Gospels of dead people being raised back to life. Jesus raised Lazarus, Jairus' daughter, the widow of Nain's son. But Jesus' resurrection was very different. The others eventually died once more like everyone else, their bodies were buried. But when Jesus left the disciples in the event that we call the Ascension, something very different happened. The Gospels describe it as a spatial journey because that was the only language that they had to describe it. He was taken up into heaven. Now, 
I don't believe that Jesus literally ascended like a rocket, but that God somehow brought about a shift in the boundaries of a universe of space and time in a way that we can't comprehend or understand, but in a way that enables Jesus to return to his Father. So the disciples' descriptions of what happened can feel a little inadequate because they didn't understand the process. And let's face it, neither do we. But they were very sure of its significance. And that's the important part. We read in verse 52 of Luke that they worshipped Jesus. This is the point at which the disciples really knew that Jesus wasn't merely their earthly leader, but that he was their Lord. However many times Jesus had told him had told them that he was the Christ, the Messiah, somehow I don't think that it had totally sunk in. But finally, the disciples had got it. Luke's gospel closes with the words that the disciples worshipped Jesus with great joy and stayed continually in the temple praising God. The disciples had travelled a long way in a short space of time from hopelessness and despair through unbelief to recognising Jesus to believing that he really had risen and finally to worshipping him as Lord. God is calling us, I believe, along a similar faith journey. And I'll leave you to ponder the question, at which point of the story do you most identify with today in the present circumstances of your own lives? Well, just why is faith in the risen Jesus so important? There are lots of reasons, and I just want to give you two today. First, it's important because the resurrection is God's vindication. Vindication of Jesus himself, vindication of the cross, and lastly, vindication of us. Jesus' resurrection is intimately bound up with his death on the cross. At the cross, it seemed that all that Jesus had lived for had come to nothing, defeated by his ignominious death. Jesus might have claimed to be the Messiah, but his death had apparently put an end to that claim. But in the resurrection, God vindicated Jesus, his ministry and his claims, by raising him from the dead. Paul is clear in his letter to the Romans that it's the resurrection that marks Jesus out as the Son of God. And bound up with that, the resurrection vindicates the cross itself. Christians believe that on the cross, Jesus has dealt with everything that alienates us from him, from that love from which we were made. Our sin has been dealt with on the cross, finally, forever. Without the resurrection, the cross would seem merely another miscarriage of justice. But in the light of the resurrection, it's not merely a place where an innocent man was wrongly declared guilty, but a place where we, 
guilty men and women as we are, are justly declared to be innocent. The cross is a part of God's plan. It's not a ghastly mistake. It's a victory rather than a defeat. And the resurrection is the fruit and the proof of that victory. So Jesus' resurrection is our vindication also. Paul goes on in that Corinthians passage that we read today. If Christ had not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. But when we look to the resurrection of Christ, we see God's great yes, not only to all that Christ has done, but also God's resounding yes to us. The resurrection is a tangible, physical sign that our sins have been forgiven. In the resurrection, God vindicates us also. And secondly, faith in Jesus' resurrection is important because in the resurrection we see God's power defeating death and giving us hope. Now, before I go any further, I want to point out that it, that defeat of death nowhere negates the reality and the negativity of death. Death is an awful thing and loss is terrible. Paul calls death the last enemy. The resurrection declares that death is a defeated enemy, but it's still an enemy. Suffering and death are an intrinsic part of our fallen world. Last week we were reminded that through Jesus' suffering and death, God is with us in the darkness of our own suffering and loss. But Jesus' resurrection means that the God who is with us in our darkness also has the power to lead us out from that place. In the resurrection, God, uh, in, in the resurrection, God didn't wave a magic wand, as it were, to make everything better. Jesus, you'll notice in that reading, still bore the scars of his crucifixion on his resurrection body. But believing in and looking to the risen Jesus gives us hope for the future, however difficult or dark our situation might be. God's power, the power that was at work in raising Jesus from the dead, that power is available to us too. It transformed those first disciples' lives and it has the power to transform us too. I think it seems somehow ironic that no sooner the the disciples become accustomed to having the risen Jesus with them that he returns to the Father. The disciples had to get used to living in a world without Jesus, or at least the Jesus that they'd known. But Jesus' ascension wasn't just an afterthought to the cross and the resurrection. It was an essential part of God's plan to bring his kingdom on earth. The ascended Jesus hadn't just gone away. He'd gone deeper into the heart of our reality, into our reality and God's reality. The ascended Jesus isn't bounded by space or time any longer. He's far more than the visible friend and companion that he was to those first disciples. 
He has shown himself to be at the very centre of our life. Far from being absent, he's actually more intensely present with us through his Holy Spirit. And we'll be thinking a little bit more about how that works out in a later part of our series on the Creed. But today, I just want to pick up on one thing. Jesus' ascension brings in God's kingdom on earth. It's the beginning of the end. The reign of God, of Christ, has begun. It's the promise that God will ultimately triumph. The disciples worship Jesus as Lord at his ascension, and it's a good place for us to come and worship also. And Jesus called his first disciples to work with him to bring about his kingdom on earth. And he calls us as well. Jesus asks us to bring his hope into a broken world, that resurrection hope that we've been considering today. As Jesus is no longer physically present in this world, he calls us to be his hands and his feet, to bring the hope and healing that we have received to others. When we look around our world at all the sad and the bad things that are happening, sometimes it can be quite challenging to see God in them. But believing in the reality of the resurrection gives us a credible ground for hope. I was at a meeting of a number of Ugandan charities a couple of weeks ago. Our people in rural Uganda lead difficult lives. There's much poverty and poor health care. There's a lack of good education. I could go on. It's difficult to sometimes to see how things might change for the better. And I was very encouraged by meeting a woman there who had founded a development charity called Seeds of Hope. Now, the organisation isn't a, a quick fix. It basically gives people the wherewithal in, in seeds to develop agricultural capacity. It's a, a sort of agrarian equivalent to send a cow. And these sorts of schemes take time to bear fruit, as it were. But it's the name that particularly caught my imagination. Seeds of Hope. The organisation was doing more than helping economically. It was giving hope to Ugandan communities. And in similar ways, I think God calls us to do the same in our own spheres of influence. We're presently living in the now and the not yet of God's kingdom. Christ's reign has begun, but it hasn't yet reached its final consummation. But Christ is inviting us to offer his seeds of hope to a broken world, to bring his love and healing into it. Faith in Christ's resurrection and ascension give us the confidence that his reign will ultimately triumph. Now there's an awful lot of short-termism around today. Um, I think we need to take the long view to look past some of the tragedy and sorrow that is under our nose and claim that promise 
that in Christ's resurrection, his kingdom has come in and that it will ultimately triumph. Let us take the long view here. Now, as I draw to a close, I'm aware that I've raised quite a number of big questions along the way that you might need to take some time to reflect on. Let me just remind you of some of them. Do you have the confidence that Christ was really raised from the dead as a historical event, excuse me, as a historical event rather than a myth? Has that story of Jesus' resurrection moved from your head to your heart so that you can actually transform your life? Where do you find yourself on that journey of faith that the disciples took from guilt and despair to joy and worship when they knew that Jesus was alive? You might be in a dark place in your life at the moment. Do you live with the hope that God's resurrection power is at work in your situation, leading you into the light? God might be nudging you to step out in faith in a particular situation in your life circumstance to offer his seeds of hope to a broken world. Do you have the confidence to respond? Now you might want to share some of these things in prayer with a member of our prayer ministry team and there's an opportunity to do that after the service. I'm going to finish with a prayer of Paul's. It's a prayer written to the Ephesians, but one that applies equally to us today as we consider Jesus' resurrection and ascension. And so Paul prays for those Ephesians and for us too. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in, the, in, in, the holy, in his holy people and his incomparably great power for us who believe. That power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms. Amen.